Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we're a little bit, well, I'm a little bit behind on loading these up. Uh, have a message from a few weeks ago. This was brought to you by Mitchell Butler, one of the members of our teaching team. Mitchell's looking at a passage in which Jesus contrasts the prayers of a Pharisee with the prayers of a tax collector. We've got lots of things coming up in the next few weeks, so be sure to stay up to date at NorthShoreVineyard.org or visit us on our Facebook page, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. An attempt to convert the bear. Later they get together. The priest begins, when I found the bear, I read to him from the catechism and sprinkled him with holy water. Next week is his first communion. I found a bear by the stream, says the minister, and preached God's holy word. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him. They both look down at the rabbi who is lying on a gurney in a body cast. (laughs) Looking back, he says, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. (laughs) Jesus was a master at telling stories to do his teachings. And often those stories looked a lot like the joke that I just told. He used characters of contracting, contrasting nature, uh, like a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. And the moment that I said priest, rabbi, and minister, all of you instantly started running through your heads all the stereotypes of those three characters and their differences and how this joke could play out. <clears throat> then Jesus would use those stereotypes in a scenario, much like these three figures trying to convert a bear. Now... There's no stories in the Bible about that, so don't go looking for it. And then lastly, he would deliver a punchline. Except unlike the punchline that I gave, he wouldn't usually leave people laughing. There would usually be probably a mixed range of emotions. Some might feel anger, others would be confused, and probably some would be filled with joy or hope. So today, we are going to look at one of Jesus' parables in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. It is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, upon hearing those two characters, you guys can start filling in some stereotypes about these two characters and thinking about which way this parable could go. So keeping with the recent... Uh, teaching styles here at North Shore Vineyard, I decided I'd get in on the audience participation, just like we have the last couple of weeks, which was started by Skip. We'll see how many weeks we can keep this going, all right? So I'd like to ask y'all, 
What stereotypes or character traits do you think of when you hear the word Pharisee? Rule follower. Pious. Snob. Arrogant. Know-it-all. Legalistic. Wow, these all sound very similar. Judgmental. Okay. There we go. All right, now, what comes to your mind when you hear tax collector and not IRS? Okay. I want to know, from the biblical perspective, tax collector, what comes to your mind? Corrupt thief. Wow, these two characters sound a lot alike. Violent. Okay. So, let's read our parable today. It is Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes when I read Jesus' parables, I feel kind of this instant urge to want to pick sides between the characters that he puts out there. Because he's obviously using one character and his traits to make an example with the other character. Almost like a good guy, bad guy scenario. If you think about other parables like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son, there's definitely this, uh, this feeling of the good guy and the bad guy. But what makes this even more interesting is that the character that we usually end up disliking in these situations is the character who has spent the majority of their life really serving the Lord in the capacity that they see as the right way to do so. And so I don't really think it's Jesus' purpose in these parables for us to have disdain for these characters, for us to look at that Pharisee and say, well, He's just a pious man. I don't want to be anything like him. So I'm going to take a minute here, and I'm going to reframe our two characters a little bit in a setting that we might relate to a little bit more because we don't live in the Jewish world of Jesus' time. And so I'm going to present us with two new characters here. We have Deacon George. George has been a church member for 30 years. He lives a very clean life, no drinking, smoking, tattoos, piercing, or cussing. He prays and studies his Bible daily. He leads small groups in his church, and he tithes 10%. Very important. On the other side, we have drug dealer Billy. Now, note, I'm not trying to make exact comparisons between the tax collector and the drug dealer. This is just something that we may be able to attach to a little bit. Drug dealer Billy 
is 25 years old. He's been dealing heroin for eight years. He has children with three different women, and he fathers none of them. Okay? Somebody that if we knew those characters of, we might look at and say, kind of the scum of the earth. Okay? So now I'm going to reread our parable with our two new characters in it. Here we go. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now I have to fill in their names because I didn't write this down. Deacon George. Oh, hold on. Let me try this again. I did this perfectly when I practiced it. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Deacon George and drug dealer Billy. Deacon George stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like that drug dealer. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But Deacon George stood, or but drug dealer Billy stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Deacon George is a man who has faithfully served Jesus in his life. He loves Jesus, and everything that he does in his life is focused towards serving him. But his biggest flaw is that he knows he's good. And he sometimes that causes him to look down on those who do not live up to his standards. But that does not negate his goodness. His self-righteousness does not erase the fact that he has spent his entire life moving towards righteousness in Jesus. Having spent my entire life literally in a church, and when I say that, I mean that almost literally. I had my house, and then I had church. I was raised by a pastor. My dad was a pastor. Both my grandfathers were pastors. My uncles are pastors. I literally, if I wasn't at home, I was probably at the church. Okay, I was around church people my entire life. So I've been around all kinds of church characters. And I have met some seriously righteous people who have really formed my life. They've been wonderful, wonderful people. And some of them have even struggled with their self-righteous nature. As followers of Jesus, a lifetime pursuit of righteousness should be a part of our lives. Ephesians 6.14, Paul says... Paul includes the breastplate of righteousness as part of the armor of God. Philippians 1.11, Paul prays that the church be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And in uh, the last, uh, late, okay, later in Philippians, Paul says this, and this is the message version. Uh, it says, I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. Righteousness is nothing to do with human achievement. It is about our willingness to be in relationship with Jesus and continue the mission that he started here on earth. When we get self-righteous, it's usually about some list of achievements that we've had in our life. 
that really have nothing to do with our spiritual life. But to Deacon George, those things were things like tobacco, alcohol, tattoos and piercings, about image. Now, if if alcohol and tobacco were... uh, if abstaining from those were a requirement for righteousness, then honestly, probably 90% of the pastors I know would not be righteous. My uh, grandfather was not a heavy drinker. He had an occasional beer. But uh, there's a story of one, one uh, evening, him, him and my grandmother are at a Mexican restaurant eating dinner, and he uh, looks at my grandmother, who did not drink, and said, Gloria, if you ever decide to have a beer... You should make it a Corona. Now, I don't necessarily share my grandfather's opinion on that type of beer. But there you have it. Grandpa Drell did enjoy himself a Corona. So during Deacon George's so-called prayer, he lists off things that he has done so well. And then he compares himself to a group of people that make everyone look good. Robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. It's really easy to make yourself feel good when you look around the world and you be like, I haven't murdered anyone today. I'm doing real good. Right? It's pretty easy. Our level of righteousness is not measured by the sins of other people. Furthermore, I don't think righteousness was even meant to be measured, especially not against the life of another person. You see, if you really want to measure your righteousness, then maybe we should do that against Jesus. That might bring a little humility into your life there. So let's move on. Drug dealer Billy, on the other hand, has not lived the virtuous life that George has. In fact, it's been quite the opposite. When he comes before the Lord, he recognizes his mistakes and his need for the mercy of the Father. Jesus gives no other specifics about Billy or what happened next. Billy did not say he would never deal drugs again. Um, We have no idea. Okay? But see, this is the good news that Jesus brought to the world. He offered salvation to all who came to him and recognized their need for mercy and grace without condition. If it were up to George, Billy might not be a candidate for mercy. He might not, unless he changed some of his appearances and attitudes and behaviors. See, but this is where self-righteousness gets Jesus' followers all screwed up. You see, George has completely overlooked Billy in this situation. A young man has just shown up to George's church and sat down in the back row and recognized his need for the Savior. This is the exact moment in Billy's life that he needs somebody like George. Most of the time, these situations in our life aren't quite as obvious. There very well might not be a Billy in this room here today. I don't know. But Billy might live next door to you. You might work with him. Your kids might play sports with his kids. But there certainly are plenty of Billies out there, and they're probably not all drug dealers. Okay? 
Uh, I, I've worked in the construction trades for, well, I started when I was about 15 years old. Uh, I quit high school and never went to college. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and in my time uh, in the trades, I have seen my fair share of interesting characters. Um, there are a lot of um, strange, crass people in the building trades. And a lot of them are a lot of fun to be around, and some of them are just an absolute pain in the neck. Um, But it's been a very interesting thing for me, and and being the background that I came from uh, is very opposite from most of those people. Um, Like I said, I was a pastor's kid. Both my grandfathers were pastors. Both my parents um, came out of that understanding the love of Jesus and uh, passed that on to me. And I've been absolutely spoiled by that my entire life. So I'm a very calm, for the most part, peaceful person. Um, uh, about my second week on, on one job working in a cabinet shop, I shot a nail all the way through my thumb. And I just, I just was like, looked down at it, walked to the bathroom and bandaged it up. And I walked out and one of the guys named Craig, he, uh, <laughs> very interesting character, very crass, chewed tobacco, spit it all over the shop. He's like, I don't know how you did that. He's like, you just shot a nail through your thumb. If I did that, I'd go up cursing, throwing stuff all over the place. He's the exact opposite of me. Okay? So I've been around all kinds of people. I work with people right now that aren't always easy for me to get along with. We're very different. My values are very different than theirs. And I can guarantee you that I have missed more than one opportunity over those years working in the trades to really minister to men in my life. For the most part, I'll be honest, it's very difficult for me to recognize my own self-righteousness. But I know it's there. Uh, and, you know, most of the time it's situations just like I said. I, I don't really want to make myself vulnerable for a person who looks so much different than me. That's really difficult. It's really easy to take the time to have a conversation and minister to somebody who looks a lot more like you, who acts a lot more like you, where you don't have to actually really think about how you're saying things and how you're um, presenting things to them. But had my humility been taking the lead in many of these situations, I know that I might have been a little bit more in tune with what God was doing. So Jesus closes this parable by saying that Billy went home justified and George does not. What it does not say is that Billy will go to heaven and George will not, okay? It also does not say that this act of self-righteousness erases all acts previously pleasing to the Father that George has done. Jesus, just as the Father had mercy on Billy, he will do the same to George in this situation. This parable is a reminder that our status as righteous is never based on our own merit, but on the divine mercy of the Father. And this is great news for all of us, believers and non-believers in this room. 
It means that we can serve Jesus without burden, okay? We are not responsible for deciding who receives righteousness or who, who receives righteous standing with the Lord, which should free us up to live like Paul had learned how to live in, in that new kind of righteousness without a list of rules to keep, knowing Christ personally and experiencing his resurrection power. The truth is that uh, those of us in this room who have been following Jesus for some time, we, we start to build up some level of self-righteousness. It's somewhere. It's about, it's about something. Okay? It's okay. Because just like God's going to have mercy on George, he has mercy on us. I don't want us to be ashamed of this. I don't want us to run and hide from it. Let's just find it. Okay? Let's, let's bring this to God. But when we start to get self-righteous, I think what we're doing more than anything else is that we're forgetting one of the most important things that we have been asked to do. And in fact, I think it makes us miss out on the things that we've been asked to do. You see, we, were called, we weren't called to look down on people and form opinions about who is worthy of Jesus. That's not who we're called to be, but that's what our self-righteousness leads us to do. We have been called to continue the work of Jesus loving the unloved, and introducing them to the resurrection truth of Jesus. So I ask you this morning, where is your self-righteousness? And how is it getting in the way of you playing your part in the kingdom of God? So if you really want to go about this, some of you might already know what it is. For some of us, it's really obvious. Okay, that's okay. Okay, pray about it. Ask God for help with this. He wants to highlight these things not so that he can make us feel bad about ourselves. He wants to highlight these things so that we can take our place in the kingdom and start doing our kingdom work as his followers. So I challenge you today to do that. Start that process. Ask God where it is and ask him to point it out to you. That's all I got today, guys. I just want to pray over all of you guys and then we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord, and I just pray right now, Father, that uh, your mercy and grace would be over all of us in this room right now, Lord, that we would know your love, and God, despite the places where we fall short, Lord, the, the places where we are self-righteous, and, and uh, Lord, we feel like we have to be over people, God, I just pray that you begin to work in us, Lord, so that we can do the work of your kingdom, Father, so that we can uh, be living in your presence, Father, every day, Father. I ask these things in your name. Amen.